Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus. Be challenged and encouraged by his word and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. Well, how are we doing, Frontline? Woohoo! Ready to go. Look at that. We got some energy. I love it. Well, I'm the Connections Pastor, and I also have affirmation issues, so I need to hear from you. All right, I need to hear from you. I want to have some fun. I don't want to be the only one talking in the room. Can we agree to that? We good with that? All right, I love it. I love it. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, Labor Day's coming up. I hope you have a chance to, to rest, relax, get away for a bit. And for me, um, I know I need a day off when I have a hard time focusing. Am I the only one? Only one in the room? All of a sudden, right? All of a sudden, the, uh, the minutes feel like hours. And by the time uh, one o'clock comes around, I'm about useless. I'm staring at the wall. Uh, am I the only one that struggles to focus? Uh, so that's a good indicator for me uh, that I need a, t- uh, a day off. And here's the deal. Um, growing up, um, pretty much anyone I was around, friends, family, anyone that knew me for more than 10 minutes uh, would diagnose me with ADD, right? Attention deficit disorder. If you know, you know. Um, and it's like anyone I was around, they're like, yeah, you, you definitely have ADD. I can tell. Um, and so I figured, well, I should probably get an expert's opinion on that since we got all these Google uh, heroes out here diagnosing me with ADD. So I went uh, to the doctor and sure enough, He said, yep, you got ADD. So everyone I knew apparently were doctors. They all knew. They were all doctors. Um, And so for you guys, you may have ADD if you can relate to any of these things. Um, I'm not diagnosing you. Go to a doctor, but you might relate to these, all right? So the first one is whenever my wife and I are in a public setting for longer than about 10 minutes, at some point, somebody will be trying to talk to me and I'll be unintentionally ignoring them because my mind is just, it's right squirrel. I've just escaped. And so my wife will have to say something along the lines of, uh, sorry, he's not, he's not actually ignoring you. He just has issues. All right. So, and, and you laugh, but it's not funny when she's not around because the problem is, is when she's not around, people just think I'm rude. They're like, man, that guy's a jerk. He's ignoring me on purpose. Um, but if you're ADD, you know, you have a hard time focusing. And I think the reality is this. I think all of us have a hard time focusing. And for you, maybe it's severe. For others, maybe it's just when you're not in an environment where you're being maybe challenged or you're talking about something that you're passionate about or something that you actually desire. Um, and here's the deal. There's a verse, uh, it's Second Chronicles, and it has me wondering if God has a hard time focusing. If there are certain times where he, uh, he's in a setting where maybe what's happening or what's being talked about doesn't really line up uh, with his desires or his passions or things to get him excited. And so here's what it says. Second uh, Chronicles 7.15 says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. And so the word now here, it's suggesting that there's a shift with the people that he's referring to where now all of a sudden God is like, all right, you got my attention now. Before, maybe not, but something has shifted and something has actually changed and you got my attention now. I'm locked in with you. 
And if you're anything like me, I'm just desperate to know what are the prayers in the things that get God's attention? What is God focused on? What does God care about? What are the things that he wants to actually hear prayed uh, from his people? And so what I want to do right now is just paint the context of where we're going. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles. And this would have been during the time of King Solomon, who would have been the son of King David. All right? So King David is now passed. So his son Solomon is now on the throne. And the burning question that the people of Israel, uh, that King Solomon were leading, are asking, is God still interested in us? The people of Israel are wondering that because the promises that God shared to David, now that he's gone, they're wondering, well, is this still true for us? Like, God, do you, are you still taking an interest in our life or is your attention elsewhere? And so the people are freaking out. Can, is, is God with Solomon still? Is, is God still going to pursue us? And so what King Solomon is doing now is now that he's on the throne, uh, he has plans to actually prepare and build a temple. And the purpose of this temple is to answer the question that the Israelites are asking, is God still interested in us? And so what God is telling Solomon, yes, I'm pursuing you. And I'm asking you to prepare and build this temple uh, to be a house of my presence. And so Solomon, uh, there's the temple. After they completed the temple, there's something that kind of shifts here. He goes, he starts sacrificing animals. And the text says they sacrificed so many animals that they lost count. So many animals that they lost count. And after they sacrifice all the animals, what Solomon does next uh, may not be popular. And he would have been over the assembly of Israel and there would have been all these people, high leaders, servants, everyone would have been here. And he's looking down and, and he's up on a platform and what he does next is he actually gets down on his knees and he extends his arms. And Solomon is a person of power. He was the wisest man. He was the richest man. And yet he gets down on his knees humbly and he just submits to God. And he's not praying about power. He's not praying about fame. He's not praying about what he can get. What he's doing is he's seeking the presence of the Lord. And for two chapters in Chronicles, what Solomon is praying is he's praying, God, we, we just want to be with you. God, would you just be with your people? Would you dwell with us? God, we just want to seek out your presence. God, we don't want anything from you. We're not asking for anything. We just want to be with you. And God, if, if we happen to sin, God, when we turn, would you, bring, would you come back to us? God, would you help us and be with us? Our heart's desire is just to seek you out. And after he gets done praying, he stands up. Fire from heaven falls down, consumes the sacrifices, and then the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And so what we see is, is Solomon in the assembly of Israel uh, just moments before questioning if God even loves them. And then there's a stark contrast after his prayer that, oh my gosh, we just witnessed a miracle of our day. The presence of God just fell in the temple right before us. And so the question I'm asking is what was it about that specific prayer that Solomon prayed that got God's attention? Because it sure looked like you have my eyes in my ears, that he's attentive. 
And so what was it about that that shifted that God was interested in? And so that brings us into our, our passage here in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 7, 12 through 14. Now, where this passage picks up, this is the response from the Lord to Solomon. Here's what it says. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now I wanna draw attention to that last verse because this matters. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Has anyone played hide and seek before? Every six-year-old just said yes, right? The rest of you, maybe not. Um, we all know how it works. Um, so growing up, I had two older brothers and my parents were planning to go out of town. And uh, as a parent, you would think that you never let older brothers watch younger brother, but my parents didn't agree with that. So what they were doing is they said, hey, we're going out of town. Your older brothers are gonna watch you. And I thought, oh no. This is not going to be good. I said, mom, they're going to torture me. Like, please don't leave. Like, please. And uh, uh, so she's like, nope, I talked to them. They're going to be fine. And the whole time, my, my brothers are like, yep, we're, we're going to give you a swirly. We're, we're going to give you a swirly when mom's gone. And we're going to make her think that we won't, but we will. And I'm begging my mom, don't go. They're going to they're gonna torture me. Mom, you got to believe me. She's like, no, they'll be fine. So sure enough, they leave. Uh, not even 10 minutes rolls by. I am upside down and my nose hairs are in the toilet bowl. All right, my brothers, they're hanging me up and I am like the, the catch of the day, flailing. It's a miracle I didn't flop out and, and bust my head, but somehow I managed to get out of their grasp. Um, and basically what I did is I ran and ran down in the basement now, here's what you got to know about me. When I'm playing hide-and-go-seek, I don't mess around, <laughs> all right? You ain't going to find me if I'm playing. Um, and I was a kid, so, you know, it's like, this is impressive for a kid to come to this conclusion. But I run downstairs, and at the time, we had a pool table. And so underneath the pool table, there would have been a cross uh, piece of wood. It was like a half-inch plywood. And there's about eight inches between that piece of plywood and the bottom. Guess what I did? I like Spider-Man that thing. I got underneath there, I sucked in, and I put my, my hands and feet out, and so my brothers, they're coming down, and they're, they're trying to reintroduce my, my face to the toilet, and I clearly was gonna try to do something about that. Um, and they're coming down, and I can just hear, like, where did he go? And at one point, my brother, he actually looked under the pool table, didn't see me, um, and they're seeking, they're seeking me out. They're like, we gotta find him, we're so gonna get him. Um, and I just, I feel it kind of progress. Um, all of a sudden, they're like, man, did he even come downstairs? What if he's outside? They're like freaking out now because they're the bad babysitters that I knew that my mom didn't, right? And so, uh, so eventually, uh, I heard my brother talking on the phone, and I could hear my mom's voice on the other line. And uh, eventually, he got close enough, and then in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, I can maybe run and grab the phone, the phone from his hand, and then, and then mom will come home. So uh, I get underneath, I sprint, I snatch the phone, and I'm, mama, mama, mom, they're trying to give me this really, please come home, right? I'm freaking out, trying to get her attention. And so sure enough, parents come home, and to this day, they've never left out of town again, all right? It's actually funny, because they're literally out of town right now, but um, here's why I share that. I think, as ridiculous as this sounds, 
I think sometimes the presence of God, it feels hidden. And sometimes we're in seasons where we're struggling and it just feels like that, like it's hostile, like it, you're in this hostile game of hide and seek where something in, in you feels off and you're unsure of where God is. And even if he's seeking you out, you're wondering what his motives are. And maybe you're afraid to even connect with him. <clears throat> I think sometimes it feels like his presence is actually hidden. And here's what I wanna propose. If we can't experience the presence of God, if we don't seek the presence of God. We can't actually experience what God's like unless we actually go and seek him. And I think the reason we struggle to actually have that good uh, experience with the Lord is just because maybe we've stopped seeking his face. Maybe, there's, there, it's, maybe it's not even sin. We've, just, we've stopped going to him as a place of refuge, as a safe place where you can seek and find. And so the prayers God's eyes are open to and ears are attentive to are the prayers where we're just chasing him. That we're not after anything. It's just like what Solomon was praying. God, we're not, I'm not after anything. I have everything I need. All I'm after is seeking out your presence. And all God really wants is our heart. And so... In this context, we just have to understand this reality. Solomon, when he's up on this altar and all these people are around, uh, the temple would have been there. And when the presence of God hit the temple, it, uh, kind of where our mind goes to is, man, I want to go in there. I want to play hide and seek with God. I just saw his presence hit the temple and I'm going to run in there and go because I just want to be with the Lord. I just want to experience his presence. But what's interesting for them is none of them would have been seeking out God at the temple. Nobody in Israel would have dared go in that temple. Because they knew when sin come, comes in contact with God, sin dies. And say they knew it would have been a high-risk, hostile environment of hide-and-seek, right? With my head in the toilet, it would have been way worse than that. And so the people of Israel, they're seeing the glory of the Lord just in front of their face. But man, they don't feel like it's safe to actually approach and engage it. And if I'm being honest, this is true for me. Maybe you can relate. I think sometimes I'm still like the people of Israel. That I know where God is. I know where to find him. But sometimes I don't dare go looking. Because I don't know what I'm going to find when I get there. And I don't know what he's going to be like when I go to him in prayer. And so for you, maybe you can relate that you're afraid to go to him because you don't know what you're going to find. And maybe you've had an affair and you're so afraid to go to God because you're, you're worried that he might ask you to go apologize to your spouse. Or maybe you're at a job and you absolutely hate what you're doing. And you even want to go to prayer because you're afraid that God might say, I want you to stay. Or maybe you have a family member that's sick and despite all the efforts of prayer and, and, and doctor visits and things, that person's still sick. And man, you're just terrified to go to prayer because what if God doesn't heal 
the person in your family. I think the people of Israel was, was feeling that. They knew better than to go to the Lord. They were so afraid of his presence because here's the reality. God's presence was in the temple and they weren't. And there was distance from them. And we, and we all know it traces back, right? There was sin between man and God. And so there was this really difficult kind of dynamic where God's trying to lead them to himself, but there's still this issue of sin in the world. And their whole thought is, but we can't go looking because we're sinful. And if we dare enter into that temple and go look for the Lord, we might not come out terrified of the presence of God. And the deal is, is there was only one person allowed in that temple and it would have been the high priest and they could only go in once a year. Um, and if they had any inkling of sin while they were in that temple, they would have died. Can I just be honest? Sometimes that's what it feels like. I go to God and it's like, God, I don't know if this is safe anymore for me. I don't know if I can trust you with this, God. But here's the deal. We're talking about Israel. This is their context. That was true for them because of sin. That isn't true anymore for us. So here's what it says in verse 16. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. And so what the Lord is saying here, it is true for their context. He's saying, yes, my, I will be in this temple with you. I'm here. You're asking the question, have I forsaken or forgotten about you? No, I'm here. I'm in the temple. But the word forever uh, suggests something prophetic because that temple wasn't going to last forever. It was a building. And so there's a prophetic hope and a prophetic promise where God is saying, yes, I'm coming after you, but I'm not talking about a place I'm talking about a who. And God, what he's saying is, he said, this isn't enough for me. This, this game of, of dysfunctional hide and seek we have going on where I'm in this temple and you guys are too afraid to come in and there's this sin that's separating it. He said, this is my best doing of trying to draw, but this is not the end. This isn't enough for me. And I can see the anxiety in you. You feel distant from me. And so let me tell you about the great high priest. God said, I have a plan of redemption, but it's not brick and mortar and it's not this temple. That'll work for now, but I have a different plan. I'm going to send my son, Jesus, and there's going to be one sacrifice. Solomon doesn't need to burn all the animals. I have one sacrifice. He's going to die on your behalf and he wants to restore the distance between God and man. And so he said, I love you enough that I would send my son. And the deal with Jesus, with hide and seek, he's always it. He's always the seeker and he never loses. And the question I would ask us is you have to know, regardless of where you're at in your life, in your faith journey, whether you love the Lord or not, he is seeking you relentlessly. The question I would offer and pose is, are you seeking him back? Are you seeking him back? There's a story in Luke 8 uh, where Jesus is, he's in the, the cities and the towns. And what the text says is there was so many people that the crowd almost crushed Jesus and his disciples. 
And so Jesus is going through the crowd. You got people trying to get his attention. You got people probably yelling. It just would have been a mosh pit. And there's a woman there. And this woman was subject to bleeding for 12 years. I won't go into details there. If you know, you know. This woman was suffering. And her thought was, man, if I just touch the hem of Jesus' robe, I bet I, bet I could be healed. And this was a high-risk mission for her because in that time, if you're, if you're a person of blood and you touched anyone else, you'd be cast out the camp and you would be considered unclean. So she already knows what she's doing is risky, but she pushes in. So this woman, she pushes into the crowd uh, and she's barreling through and she reaches in between people and she grabs the hem of Jesus' robe and immediately Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And Peter, who I think is the smart aleck disciple, says, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. There's a crowd. I mean, how do you know that? And and Jesus says, no, 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 hold on. This is different. Like, somebody sought after me. I could feel the heart of this person seeking after me and barreling through. And, And no matter what they were going through, I could feel that they were coming after me. This was different. So finally, the woman, she, she, gets, she understands that when she comes to Jesus, what she's expecting is, is maybe to get ridiculed uh, at best, stoned at worst. Because what she did would have been considered not a good thing to do in that time. But what she does, she finally comes to Jesus and she kneels. And she, and she, she would have been a mess. And, and Jesus asks, why, why did you touch me? And she just says, I, I just thought that if I touched the hem of your robe that you could heal me, and, and you did. And I think in that moment, she was shaking. She was terrified of, man, I did a really bad thing, and I don't know if this is going to go well. And here's what Jesus said. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter, in your sin, in your impurity, in your uncleanness, you set out on a high-risk mission and you knew death might be the response. And here's what you need to know. Thank you for coming to me in your time of need. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Don't you just desire to have that kind of invitation from the Lord? I can really relate to the brokenness that she must have felt, and I'm sure you can too. I think all of us have something that we really struggle with. The thought of even being public about it, the thought of even um, letting other people into it, it maybe just, it, it freaks us out. So here's mine. I really struggle to trust God as provider. And me and my wife both being called to ministry didn't help. <laughs> but I've always struggled with that. And the, the, the part that's ridiculous about it, God's never given me a reason not to trust him. He's always provided. It's just something I struggle with. And so uh, over the last four to five years, I've really just discovered this entrepreneurial gift that I have 
Um, and it's been really fun to, to kind of explore that. And if you're friends with me on Facebook, you'll come to the conclusion that everything in my house is for sale except for my dog. <laughs> and for the right price, I might let go of the dog. I love me a side hustle, I won't lie. And I don't think it's wrong to work a couple extra hours or do a couple things to pay bills. But I think it's different for me. And I think there's a point of going too far. And so here's the deal. I chased, I chased the money, I chased the security. And I thought, God, I, I don't know if I can trust you here. So I'm just gonna run and just figure this out, God. If I'm gonna be poor and broke, it's not gonna be because of a lack of effort. You see, you see the posture? It's like, all right, God, I don't know if I can trust you with this, but I'm gonna go and make it happen. And as I continue to do that, uh, and again, th this isn't like something that I struggled with. Like this is current. Like I'm just, I'm just being real with you. This is something I'm ongoing trying to figure out and struggle with. And, and God's been teaching me a lot. And what it led me to is this place where all of a sudden I felt like me and God weren't even in the same room. I had sought, off to, sought after that so much and obsessed with it in my mind so much that all of a sudden I'm like, I, God, I don't even know if you're here anymore. It doesn't, I don't even feel you. I don't sense you. The more I chase this, the more anxious I become about the reality. And it got to the point, honestly, where I was ashamed to even go to him in prayer. I felt like the woman of like, do I dare even confess and let him know what I just did? What I've been doing? So there was a night where, I don't know how to explain it. I'm really not that anxious of a person. Um, and I don't know if this was spiritual or something else, but I was laying in bed at night and I couldn't control my thoughts. It was just, it was excessive worry and anxiety, just crippling anxiety. I couldn't even like feel anything going on and everything just seemed like an illusion. I just felt like a mess. And I just, I cried out to God. I said, God, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I chose this over you. And God, what, what started out as just a harmless pursuit, now I'm in a place where I, I don't even know where you're at anymore. And I just began to confess and just repent. And I expected him just to remind me of how big of an idiot I was. But something different happened. In that moment, I just felt like the presence of God washed over my body it washed over my mind. All of a sudden, my, my mind was crystal clear that God, your presence is right here inside me. I didn't have anxiety, the pit in my stomach, it was just gone. And I just began to cry and I just kept thinking, God, thank you so much. Even if this lasts only a moment, it's so worth it, I needed this. Thank you for reconnecting with me. Two weeks after that, because here's the deal. God, he wants to spend time with you, but he also understands what you need. He's, he doesn't just ignore that because it matters to you and it matters to him. So two weeks later, I would have two different people that live in different states approach Mariah and I uh, and give us a gift of money. And to say that those gifts were generous does not capture it. And what I felt like the Lord said is, see, it would have taken you months to make that kind of money. I don't want you to chase me in your anxiety. That's not what I'm after. What the Lord is inviting us into is as you seek him, he will provide everything else. 
And if we get that wrong, we've missed altogether. Are you following me? Verse 14. This is the hardest text. And and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal, heal heal their land. When we read the word wicked ways, I think that's what prevents us from coming to the Lord. God, I don't even want to bring this to you. God doesn't want you to bring forth your sin and your shame and your anxiety and your depression and your dysfunction to belittle you, to cause you to do something that you wouldn't like or other people. The Lord just wants you to bring your whole self and seek him so that he can heal you. And he wants you to do that by coming to him. The invitation he's saying is just come as you are. I know your needs. I know what you're chasing. And I don't want to shame you. I don't want to guilt you. I just want you to come back to me. And what you're trying to solve on your own, I want to make it easy. Because my, my, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. We can't experience the presence of God if we don't seek the presence of God. So here's what I want to do. I have two questions. The first one It'll apply uh, to all of us, but there's a certain person that it'll apply to. So the first question is this, what is trying to take the place of the presence of God in your life? So this is for the person in the room where maybe you've been in a relationship with God for a long time, or you've been following him and you're, you're a pretty steady person following the Lord, but not one person in this room is above things of this world seeping in and slowly taking over God's place in your heart. And so what I would propose and ask is just take a picture of this because we're not going to worry about that right now um, and just consider that this week. Is there something seeping in in the enemy? He knows. He knows how to just, just barrel it in. Is there something seeping in that is replacing God in your life? Here's the second. What has replaced the presence of God in your life? So maybe you're in the room, you've never had a relationship with God. Or maybe God's here and you're, you've totally ran. That is not an unforgivable sin. You are not too far gone and the invitation for you is the same. The Lord is just saying, just seek me. I'll give you all the answers and I'll make every need as we go. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go uh, take a picture of that, sit with it this week. We're gonna go into a time of worship and all I would just invite you to do is just seek after the presence of God. Can we do that? Amen. We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.